Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I've been accused sometimes of getting too loud. I'll try not to do that um, today. Um, This is kind of a, a calmer sermon for sure as we talk about the duties and responsibilities of godly moms. And before I go any further, I want to make sure, number one, that you get the outline out, if you kindly would, um, because I'm going to be encouraging you to read along as I read through the scriptures this morning. This is a very un-Lutheran sermon today in that we're going to be going through this text verse by verse. We're going to be going all the way through um, this particular text, which is found in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going all the way through this whole chapter, and so I encourage you to have the outline in front of you so that you can read along with me as I go through this text. The second thing is we want to honor moms today, but we want to honor all women today. Some of you here today have not had children for whatever reason, and and we are sensitive to that. We just honor you as a woman of God, as someone who is here today to honor Jesus, And I know that many of you as as moms, whether you're a single mom or a mom who's been married and not have children, your heart is breaking today. And we want to be sensitive to that and help you understand that God is there to comfort you in the midst of all that you've gone through. And you still are a powerful and shining light for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we appreciate how God is using you in your everyday life. So... Let's go ahead and launch into this message today. I think of a little boy, a two-year-old, who was um, really, really wanting a chocolate chip cookie. And so he asked his mom, Mom, can I have a chocolate chip cookie? Now, he'd already had four that day. And his mom said, no, you cannot have a chocolate chip cookie. And about a half hour later, he came to his mom again and he said, Mom, please, 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 let me have a chocolate chip cookie. And his mom said, no, honey. I said, no, you've had four already. You can't have a chocolate chip cookie. About 15 minutes later, he said, Mom, in the name of Jesus, can I have a chocolate chip cookie? (laughs) His mom still said no. (laughs) Yeah, moms, we appreciate so much what you do, dusting and baking and cooking and cleaning and wiping noses and changing diapers and preparing meals and carting to soccer games and at religious activities, uh, Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts, whatever it is, moms in many ways are super moms today. Are they not? Can I get an amen? And if they're working and they're trying to balance that as well as being a mom and being a faithful wife, you know, it's amazing to me how busy moms are today. And so my encouragement for you as a mom, whether your kids are still around or whether they've been unleashed out into the real world or you're still contemplating being a mom, if you're married, you know, we want to honor you today and lift up the name of Jesus and thank God for the influence you have had on children all around you. And so to that end, we start with this powerful and wonderful text found in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1, the story of Hannah. How many of you are familiar with this story? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you are. Many of us are not. I'm going to be going through this. This is a powerful story about a lady who was married to a man by the name of Elkanah who also had another wife by the name of Penina. Okay, and we're going to be looking at that today. So I'll start at verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathiam Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, son of Tohu. How would you like to have that name? What's your kid's name? Tohu. Okay, yeah. Um, son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. He had two, look at this, he had two 
wives. Did God ordain that? Did God say, that's a good thing to have? No, he didn't. But Elkanah decided he wanted not just one, but two. And that caused some problems in this particular marriage and this particular relationship. And you'll see that here in just a minute. Okay, the name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up year by year from the city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Now, I want to stop right there and say many people believe that the tabernacle city was Jerusalem. But until later in the Old Testament, the, the tabernacle city or the sacrifice city, the city that was the capital of the Israelites, was a place by the name of Shiloh, which is about 30 miles north of Jerusalem. And so that's where they went. That's where the tabernacle and the temple was. That's where they made sacrifices. And many scholars believe that on this particular sacrifice, they were heading there for the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, you're probably wondering, what was the Feast of Tabernacles? As you know, the children of Israel wandered around the wilderness for how long? 40 years, right? And they tabernacled in the desert, and they would live in tents. And in the middle of the camp was this huge tent called the Tent of Tabernacles. And so every year, to commemorate God's um, provision and care and guidance for them in the wilderness, they would make this pilgrimage to Shiloh to celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles, commemorating God's presence and provision in the wilderness for 40 years. So many scholars believe that's one of the reasons they were going to Shiloh. Now, there were other temples that they, or other um, pilgrimages they, that they made to Shiloh. What were some of those other pilgrimages? The Festival of Pentecost, right? the festival of Passover. But in this particular instance, they were probably traveling to Shiloh to celebrate the festival of booths or tabernacles. By the way, I said booths, B-O-O-T-H-S, not B-O-O-Z-E, okay? That's a different festival that Lutherans like. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, all right. So, now this man, look at verse 3. This man used to go up year by year from the city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. Verse 4. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. Look at this, verse 5. But to Hannah, he gave what? A double portion. Why did he do that? Because he what? Go ahead and look at it. Because he what? He loved her. How do you think Penina felt about that? Do you think that went over well? She could see Elkin is giving twice as much sacrificial food to his wife Hannah than to me. This caused what? Division and jealousy and outrage, as you can imagine. Okay? So verse 5, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he, why? Because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Now, I want to stop right here and say there was no reason that Hannah's womb had been closed. For whatever reason, God had not allowed her to have children. But this was not a retribution from God towards her about her life. When people want to have children, and for whatever reason, God has not allowed that to happen. I don't understand it. I can't comprehend it. 
I've seen some very ungodly women have many children, some very godly women who had no children. There is no explanation for that. Nor was there any explanation here for why Hannah was not able to bear children, at least until now. We go to verse 6. And her rival, remember her name was Penina, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Can you imagine what this was like, this discussion between Penina and Hannah? Oh, look at me. I've had kids. You can't have any kids. You must have done something really bad to deserve this and continued to irritate her and put her down and ostracize her and make fun of her and cause division and angst. Verse 7, so it went on, go ahead and look at it, so it went on year by year. She was incessant. She would not stop. Keep going on. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke Hannah. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. We know that every good gift that we have in life, including children, is not because of our own doing. It's what? A gift of God. And you'd think that Penina would have said, you know what? I realize I've had children, and I'm thankful for those children, and I realize, Hannah, you have not had children, and my heart goes out to you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask God to bless you with kids as he has blessed me with kids. But instead, she rubbed her nose in it. You have people that when great things happen in their life, they kind of rub your nose in it. I, I pray not. But I can remember some really good friends. The only time they came over to our house is when they got a new car because they wanted to show it off and kind of rub our noses in it. That's what Penina was doing. She was being incessantly evil, provoking Hannah, causing her to go to tears. And here's the thing. I don't think Elkanah, her husband, helped at all. He probably said stuff like, would you get over it? Everything's going to be okay. Maybe someday we'll have kids. And those words did not help. Let's go on. Verse 8. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Hey, you got me. Look at what I am. Look at who I am. Look at what I've done. Hey, you got me. You don't need kids. How insensitive, right, can you be? Now, in a sense, what Elkanah was saying was right, obviously. But also, I think behind those words, and maybe, you know, kind of an insensitivity that he was casting upon his wife, but behind that was some truth. And here's the truth. My in-laws have been married 60 years. Do you know how many kids they had? They had four. And how long kids were around? From the time their first one was born until their last one left the nest, 25 years. That means about two-thirds of their life has been Without kids around, the number one relationship, apart from our relationship with God, is a relationship of marriage. And parents, those of you who have kids around still, I would encourage you to make sure you continue to date each other, 
that you continue to spend quality time with each other because during that time, that 18, 20, 25 years it is, however long those kids are around, it is so overwhelming and can take away your time with one another. And what Elkanah was saying in a sense was the number one relationship apart from our relationship with God is the marriage relationship. Here's my point. Make sure if kids are still around that you maintain closeness during those years because if you don't, all of a sudden the last child leaves, you look at one another and you say, man, we are perfect strangers. What are we going to do now that the kids aren't here? And many of you know the divorce rate in many households goes up when the last child leaves home. So in a sense, Elkin was saying, hey, the number one relationship, Hannah, remember, is our marriage. And we need to keep that in mind. Go on to verse 9. As they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Now here's the first point I want you to fill in at the top of that whole page, if you will. Pray to the Lord for your children. That's what Hannah did. She said, I don't have any kids. I want to have kids. I'm praying for the children yet unborn. Moms, we thank you and we praise God for you and for the fact that whether you have children now, whether you're going to have children or your children have been released, and we're going to be talking about that here in a few minutes, that you continue to pray for your kids. And what do mothers, godly mothers, pray for regarding their kids? They pray for safety. Number one, though, most importantly, they pray that those children always remain faithful to Jesus Christ. They pray oftentimes for a godly mate for their children and for success in their business. But the most wonderful godly prayer a mother can pray is, God, keep these children close to you all their days. And without a show of hands, I could ask, how many of you have prayed that down through the years if you're a mom and have kids? Many hands would go up. Oh, Lord Jesus, don't let them stray. Don't let them bow down to false gods. Don't let them cast their faith away in behalf of something less important. Oh, God, keep them faithful to you all their lives. What a godly prayer that is. Now, in this case, Hannah's womb obviously was shut. She had not had kids yet, but she prays powerfully to the Lord. So that's the first point. Pray to the Lord for your children. Verse 12. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. I love that. Women and men of God, do you pour out your heart to the Lord? 
It's like a pitcher of water that you just go whoosh and you pour it out. What does that mean? Everything that was going on in her life in the deepest recesses of her being, she was pouring it out to God incessantly. She couldn't stop. And she told Eli, the priest, this is what I'm doing. I'm bringing my petition before the Lord. I'm pouring my heart out to God. Oh, people of God, that we would pour out our hearts to the Lord consistently. Any challenge, any difficulty, any worry, that we would just pour it out to him. Can I get an amen? That's what we do. That's what God has called us to do. But you know what we many times do? Instead of pouring out our hearts to God, we worry and we fret and we have anxiety and we're overwhelmed with fear. No. Hannah said, there's only one thing I can do here, and that's to pour out my heart to God. Verse 16, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. By the way, that's the way in Israel many women were perceived if they didn't have children. Worthless. Man, oh man, nothing could be further from the truth. If you've not had children and you want to have children, you are anything but worthless in the eyes of God. He loves you. You're his precious child. He sent his son Jesus to die for all of us. Anything but worthless. Verse 16, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says, don't worry about anything but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, pour out your request to God. Have no anxiety about anything. Pray about everything. That's what Hannah was doing here. Verse 17. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Does anybody see the significance of that? She poured out her heart to God, overwhelmed with anxiety. She said, God, this is yours. Now as she poured it out, what was her disposition? She was no longer what? Sad. Isn't it amazing how prayer takes away our sadness, how our burden is lightened when we pour out our petitions to the Lord? She left that place, she felt better, she poured out her anxiety to the Lord, and she left no longer sad. Now they need to go home, and I love this teaching point in verse 19. They rose, verse 19, they rose early in the morning and worshipped the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. I can remember growing up, and when we went on vacations, any kind of trip, the first thing my mom and dad did when we got in the car was what? Pray. And to this day, that's, by the way, my wife and I are going to Mount Rushmore and, and Crazy Horse today for a few days of relaxation and fun. First thing we're going to do when we get in the car is my wife's going to look at me and say, let's not forget to pray. When they were heading their way back home about 70 miles, and of course that took them many days, they said, we need to worship the Lord. We need to pour out our petitions before the Lord before we travel. Verse 19, they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew, in a sexual sense, obviously, Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. 
And she called his name Samuel, who was the last of the judges. She called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Do you know what the name Samuel means? Write this down. God has heard. God has heard. Here's the thing I want to tell you right now about prayer. God always answers prayer. We know this. I've taught it a million times here. God always answers prayer. The problem is sometimes we don't like his answers. Isn't that right? And in the midst of it, God is calling out to us saying, take my hand, understand my wisdom, recognize my promises. In the midst of my time, I've said no or wait during this time and trust me. When God says no to our prayers, we can either run away in fear or we can trust him implicitly. Which choice will you make? God answered Hannah's prayer in a powerful way with a resounding yes, didn't he? And she gave him to the Lord. Here's the second point I want you to write down. Pray. Here's the first one was pray to the Lord for your children. Here's the next one. Raise. Would you go to that next slide? Raise to the Lord. So the first one is pray to the Lord your children. Next one. Yeah, that's the right one. Raise to the Lord. Write it in the blank. Raise to the Lord your children. Verse 21. Go ahead and look at it. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. So this is another year past probably the festival of tabernacles. Go ahead and look at verse 21. The man Elkanah and all his house, that means his wife Penina and her children, went up to the house to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish, I love this, only may the Lord establish his word. So for those three years, by the way, women nursed children for a longer time back then than they do now. Probably Samuel was three or four when he was finally taken to be a temple judge. So for those three or four years, what do you think Hannah did with her child? She told him about the Lord. Undoubtedly, she recognized all the things that God had done for the children of Israel down through history. She taught him the Ten Commandments. She taught him all the great intervention of God in the life of his people. She raised her son, even though it was only for three or four years, she raised her son in the Lord, and that's what godly moms do today. Teaching their children the Ten Commandments, bringing them to church in Sunday school, having family devotions, looking for opportunities to share the faith in everyday life. 
You raise your children in the Lord, and just about every one of you here today, if you've had kids, that's what you're doing, or that's what you've done, and we say thank you, moms, for carrying out that wonderful duty of bringing your children up in the Lord. The best thing you can ever do for your kids is to tell them about Jesus, model the faith, and bring them to God's house on a consistent basis. It's the best thing. Where'd you get that, Pastor Dave? From this book, it's the very best thing we can ever do. Very best thing we can ever do. So she raised her children, raised her child in the Lord. Verse 24, and when she had weaned him, we're almost done. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at where? Not Jerusalem, but where? Shiloh, very good. And the child was young, three or four years old. Now, I want you to think about this. Can you imagine giving up your child at three or four years old permanently? Taking him to the house of the Lord, realizing that he was going to serve the Lord in that place, dedicated to the Lord, and you had to let him go. I can remember when our oldest son at 18 years old left for college, and we walked into his room, and we saw all the artifacts of things that he had done, and we just wept for about an hour. And then we were done. We'd done our duty. We'd released him. But at three or four? Whew. It's incredible. Verse 25, then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I'm the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. That was three or four years before. And he remembered, okay, for this child, I love this, for this child, what's it say there? For this child, I what? I prayed. My daughter, Ruth, was not able to have biological children and then after, I think, four or five years of marriage, they decided to adopt a child. His name is Micah. And above Micah's crib is this verse. For this child, I have prayed. It came from this. Hannah said, for this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. He said yes to my prayer. Verse 28, therefore I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord. I've said this many times. Our kids really are just, listen to this, unknown to us. Ultimately, they belong to God. And we're blessed with them for 18 or 20, in some cases 40 years, um, living at home, okay, but then finally, we have to what? We have to release them. I love what the psalm says. The psalm says, blessed is a man whose quiver is full of arrows. And if kids are compared to arrows, then you know what you do with an arrow. You aim the arrow, and I've shared this many times down through the years, you aim the arrow at a target, but eventually, if you're going to hit the target, you aim and you aim and you aim, and finally, whoop, you release that's what Hannah had to do at 
Samuel being three or four years old. Many of us have to do that when our children get to be 18 or 20 or 22, and we release them. That's the last point. Release to the Lord your children. We release them to the Lord. We give them back to Him. And we can't be there when we finally release them to encourage them, to tuck them in bed, to wipe their noses, to see their smile, to encourage them along the way. And so what do we do when we release that arrow? We say, Lord Jesus, you guide the flight. And what's the target? Not that they would be a success. Where does it say in the Bible, I just want my kids to be successful? Not that they would be happy. That's not a godly goal either. A godly goal for women and men of God is to point their children to the Lord Jesus Christ and let the Lord guide the arrow. And some of you here today, you still have arrows going this way, don't you? Some of you have identified your kids or grandkids up here as the one. Be like Hannah. Pour out your heart to the Lord. And don't give up. Say, Lord Jesus, you guide the arrow. Let it hit the target. May the end their life, at the end of their life, may they confess and live for and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the number one goal of a godly mother. Amen? Ooh. Can I get another amen? Amen? Amen. amen. That's it. Guys, you're going to hear the truth here. You're not going to get sugarcoating stuff of what motherhood is all about. Sappy stuff that really doesn't mean a tinker's doodle compared to eternity. You're going to hear the truth. And the number one goal, according to the Word of God, is that our kids grow up to love Jesus Christ. That was Hannah's prayer. She released her son to the Lord at three or four years old, and she said, Lord Jesus, you guide the flight of this arrow. Now, last point. It's so powerful. Look at what it says in the last part of verse 28. Everybody look at it. The last sentence of verse 28. And Samuel worshipped the Lord there. For you as a child, whether you're 5, 15, 25, 55, 65, the best gift you can give your mom, if she is a godly mom, is to believe in and worship to consistently the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow with word of, word of prayer. Father, just thank you so much for this word today. God, what a great story this is in the life of Hannah. Help us to take the truths we've learned, to pray to the Lord for our children, to raise to the Lord our children, and to release to the Lord our children. Oh, God, how difficult all three of those things are. We, we do it, Lord, imperfectly. We do it peppered by mistakes. But God, thank you for your grace and love that is new and fresh every morning. 
and help us to take the word that we've been challenged with today and put it into practice. In the precious name of you, Lord Jesus Christ, we pray all these things. Amen. Please stand. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus and to life everlasting. Amen.